Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Pushing these risky acts into the fringes, into the, you know, the back alleys of society just so you can't see them, that doesn't mean they freaking go away. It just makes them worse. It makes the consequence at the end, it just makes it that much worse. You have people dying because of it. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. As you know, Felony Friday is the show that focuses on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. This is episode number 72 of Felony Friday, so that means you'll be able to find the show notes for everything that we're going to talk about at lionsofliberty.com slash ff72 and we're going to have a lot of notes a lot of links to different stories on that show notes page because for today's episode i'm bringing on a, a frequent guest here on the lions of liberty podcast he has helped me co-host this show felony friday before it is none other than the mysterious rico rico welcome back to felony friday what's up big guy Oh doing? man, it's just just living the dream. Just another uh, another day in paradise here for me. How about you? Oh yeah, they're all they're all paradise with me. It's all smooth sailing and sunshine and good things. What Sun, can I say? Sunshine and daydreams. So you're uh you're you're at your home base now in in Cleveland. You're not traveling around the around the globe, are you? Uh, no, I did my traveling for today. Just a quick road trip. So back home, sitting in the office, ready to pump out some felony stories. All right, awesome. And we got some uh, we got some doozies to talk about today. We're going to talk about Jeff Sessions. We're going to talk about uh, probably everyone in the country now has heard about this Penn State fraternity scandal. There was a death at a Penn State fraternity, and I think 18 students have been charged. So we're going to dive into those two stories. And then we're going to play uh, America's Fastest Growing Podcast Game Show, Is This a Crime and Should They Do Time? But uh, we're going to start out with uh, with our boy, not our boy, he's definitely not our boy, Jeff Sessions, um, and his announcement last Friday, so listening to this today, a week, last week, last Friday, Jeff Sessions sent out a memorandum to federal prosecutors ordering them to charge and pursue the most serious and readily provable offenses in all cases of drug crimes. This was after a speech that he gave in West Virginia, and Sessions actually, during the speech, linked the opioid crisis with an uptick in violent crime in American cities. This, of course, uh, ignores the fact that crime is down across the board in America. And he did have this one gem that that I got to note, because it really, if you think about it from a libertarian perspective, from a, uh, you know, we shouldn't be locking people in cages for nonviolent crimes and looking at the cause and effects of the drug wars, this statement, looking at it through that lens, sort of it invalidates the war on drugs, but Jeff Sessions saying it, he said it as a way to prove that there needs to be more intervention. So here's what he said. We know drugs and crime go hand in hand. Drug trafficking is an inherently violent business. If you want to collect a drug debt, you can't and don't file a lawsuit in court. You collect it by the barrel of a gun. So 
I mean, common sense would tell you, well, maybe we should just make it legal so people can settle these disputes in court. I mean, you don't see people robbing pharmacies, as my guest last week, Rafer Davis, pointed out. So that would kind of uh, remedy that problem, mitigate that uh, that little bit of violence there. But I guess Jeff Sessions doesn't care about that. So, Rico, what are your thoughts on this? Did you see this coming? Are you surprised by Jeff Sessions really starting uh, the war on drugs 2.0? Not at all. Uh, I think everyone pretty much realized once they knew who Jeff Session was as a person, what he believes in, that he would want to go this route. The only thing that gave us any kind of hope was that Trump was more of a populist and would kind of say, well, you know, the, the nation sentiment is heading towards, well, drugs, at least uh, marijuana shouldn't, should not be illegal. Um, we're, we want less nonviolent offenders in prison and that's the way it's been going and that's what people want but that, that was kind of the only thread i was hanging on to but him appointing sessions in the first place um kind of gave me reason to pause on that and, and this is just it seemed inevitable once he got appointed because they didn't appoint jeff sessions to kind of speed things along with uh, <laughs> decriminalization of drugs that's not who he is uh, this is who he is. And even though I knew it was coming, it still infuriated me. And uh, I thought the same thing when I read that quote. It's like, hey, dumbass, why is this stuff illegal in the first place? But that kind of logic never enters his mind. Uh, I think I think it was episode, was it 43 that we uh, that we talked about this? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, we talked about him, I think, right after Trump got elected and his name was floated out there. And I don't think we had a, a lot of good things to say about him. I think maybe we were hopeful that, you know, we were grasping at straws. We did a uh, it was episode 49. Sorry about that. You can find that episode at linesofliberty.com slash FF 49. Yeah, I, th- I think we both came to the conclusion, as you were just saying, that we were kind of terrified but hopeful that Trump being a populist would kind of rein him in. But it kind of seems like Trump's M.O. to start with has been sort of let his guys that he puts in place do their thing. He doesn't seem to to micromanage them at all. So putting in a, you know, a, a tyrant like Jeff Sessions in this role as attorney general, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised to see what he's doing as maddening as it is. And I know that, uh, I don't have the specific article in front of me in front of me, but I know that Rand Paul was talking about introducing some legislation to, I think, bring back a uh, some of the reforms put in place under President Obama, I guess, hoping to to overrule this. I'm not sure how that would work, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to the executive branch to enforce the law. So they could just sort of circumvent that, I, I would think. But. I don't know. I'm not sure the best the best way to handle this from a legislative standpoint. Unless one, I mean, Congress sets the laws, so all Sessions is really doing is enforcing what's possible that's on the books. So Congress could easily, well, not I don't know about easily because they actually did try to do this, and the wonderful Mitch McConnell blocked the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act from even um, it was passed through committee. And he uh, 15 to five, and he blocked it from ever having a Senate vote um, for whatever reason. This this bill would have um, tried to reduce the disparity between crack and uh, uh, cocaine, reduce mandatory sentences. 
it would have um, limited the use of solitary confinement on juvenile prisoners. God knows, you know, we, we had to have more of that. Um, it, it would have reduced uh, the possibilities of life, um, reduced 20-year sentences to 15-year sentences. But this didn't even get to be voted on because the wonderful Mitch McConnell did not allow it to be voted on. So, um, but theoretically, this could maybe spur um, a movement again to get this or, or something similar passed through um, Congress. And this bill wasn't perfect, but McConnell didn't even let it be voted on. So that's kind of a problem. And another thing I, I thought is I was irritated at the time that Rand Paul voted to uh, confirm Sessions. And then he, he wrote that editorial in CNN saying, well, you know, th these are the problems. It's like, well, you know what? We all saw this coming. I'm sure you did too, but you didn't do anything to stop. And now you're going to write an essay in CNN. That's not going to do jack shit. So it, it's empty. I'm disappointed in Rand for, for his kind of, uh, I won't call it complicity, but just kind of rolling over with the uh, confirmation of Sessions in the first place. The thing with Rand Paul that is frustrating to me is he kind of tries to dance around some of these issues. Obviously, he's watched his whole life growing up with Ron Paul being his father. Is Ron Paul from, the obviously, the Republican Party has just cast him aside any time that he's gone against uh, you know standard Republican talking points when he's spoken out against the war on drugs for an intervention, et cetera, et cetera. Rand has, I guess, tried to learn from that, in quotes, and has decided to play the political game and... Obviously, it's not working out. He ran for president, and no mainstream Republicans took him seriously. So that's obviously not working. So you would think that he would learn from that. It just happened and use the Jeff Sessions nominating process to, you know, to make a stand, to take a stand and say, no, you can't nominate this guy. He could have done a filibuster and made a big deal out of it, and he really could have blocked him indefinitely. But And he would have had people on the left, there were people on the left, that uh, would have supported him in that. So I, I don't know what the heck Rand Paul's thinking voting for Jeff Sessions. Obviously, um, the the worst case scenario has uh, has played out in front of us. And I did I did want to point out talking about Mitch McConnell and blocking uh, blocking that sentencing reform, blocking that criminal justice reform. His wife Elaine Chao is uh, Trump's transportation secretary. And the funny thing with that is there was a some a conspiracy theory or some sort of linkage between uh, Chow's, I think, father and her father's family transporting drugs into the United States and submarines or something. Do you remember hearing about that, Rico? What? No. Yeah, there was a maybe I'll have to save that for a conspiracy theory roundtable. I can dig into that one a little bit more. But there was there was something there, and it kind of fits in with uh, with uh, McConnell. You know, wanting to keep it on the black market, maybe somehow his family or people that he's tied in with, maybe they're profiting from that somehow by utilizing black market channels. I don't know. I don't know. Just saying. That's just enough for me. I believe it. Completely unsubstantiated. I'm on board. Actually, I, one of the uh, things I read about this Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act, it, it was supported by former FBI director Louis Free. So, oh, hey, really? let's, let's put a point on the board for Louis Free. We got enough on the uh, the negative. We can we can give him one. For those of you keeping track at home, that is now one point for Louis Free and <laughs> a thousand negative points. So yeah. He's got, some he's got a long way to go. But, yeah, <laughs> it's a start. To do. 
speaking of speaking of Louis Free, obviously he has the the ties to Penn State is being hired by Penn State to uh, look into the Sandusky scandal, which we've talked about extensively on that show. If you want to hear uh, my thoughts and John Ziegler's thoughts on the Sandusky scandal, you can just go to felonyfriday.com and just search on that page for uh, Sandusky or, or for John Ziegler, or you can just go to lionsofliberty.com/ff8/ff14. Uh, or slash FF31. There's three different episodes, and I know you guys know how to use the internet, so you can also use Google to find them. But Louis Free was tied in with Penn State. That way, we're talking about another Penn State scandal, and this one involved a Penn State fraternity who, in a really tragic event, a fraternity pledge passed away. He died. There was a, uh, a drinking event, a bid acceptance night, and this fraternity pledge... I guess at Penn State we called them beta. I don't know their their full letters, but was is it beta, beta theta pi? Beta theta pi. Yeah. Pledging that fraternity, they have a bit acceptance. He gets inebriated, drunk, obviously under the age of 21, uh, falls down the steps several times. There's video that hasn't been released yet, but will probably be be made public shortly of him stumbling around the house, falling down the steps. You know, brothers, sort of. There was, I guess there's one instance where the brothers were sort of fighting with each other. One wanted to call 911. Uh, that, w- that guy was overruled, and they didn't call 911. They waited until the next morning, about 1045, and uh, this, this guy had fallen down the steps, at, I don't know, like before midnight, the night before. And when they finally did call, he was completely unconscious. He was uh, barely alive, uh, turning purple. And when they did... Uh, ambulance came, took him to the hospital. He was declared dead. So the result of this, there's been 18 students charged, eight charged with involuntary manslaughter. That's a felony charge. So they could get significant jail time for that. And 10 facing lesser charges, including hazing and furnishing alcohol to minors. So Rico, I know you've, you've you know, followed this case closely and, and looked into it as Rico and I, of course, both went to Penn State and we're both in a fraternity. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on this case? Oh, well, I think there's a couple different things. One, you, you can't really defend um, the kids in this situation. They acted you know, horribly. Uh, I'm not talking about the actual drinking event. I'm talking about what happened afterwards. Um, so I, I think there's kind of different stages. And, and I think this kind of deals with the law of unintended consequences. And just to go back a little bit, I've seen a lot of um, and, and it's hard to blame the parents for saying, you know, what they say. Uh, they're rightfully just heartbroken and, and full of anger about the situation. What are you referring to with the parents said how they said that they want to per- pursue the full uh, that these well, kids get 20 years in prison or was there? Well, oh, no, I, I didn't even see that one. Um, no, I don't think they're not going to get 20 years in prison. There was no intent to, for this kid to die. My thought was what they were concerned about is it was more of a a matter of self-preservation for them. And as you know, being in college, I've seen many, many extremely inebriated people, uh, not just in college, but you know, in every, you know, all the time, you you don't, Mm -hmm. well, not, you know what I mean? Not all the time, but we've seen our fair share. I'm I'm not walking over uh, a sidewalk, but I think their thought was when you're 18, you're like, all right, well, he had way too much drink and what's going to happen is he's going to sleep it off and he's going to wake up in the morning. We're going to laugh about this. 
And we've all had those nights where we got way too drunk and we're like, man, that was ridiculous. And, you know, you laugh about the next day. Well, that's not what happened here. This kid died. So the worst possible outcome here. But they weren't thinking like he's going to die at the time. What they were worried about is, I'm guessing, but they were probably worried about like, look, if we call the hospital, we're all going to be fucked. They're going to charge us with hazing. They're going to um, shut us down. They're going to, you know, charge us with this and that. When, you know, we do nothing, he's going to wake up in the morning and he's going to have a hangover and feel like shit. And that's going to be the worst. That's probably what these kids were thinking. They're not thinking like this kid's going to die. So I think there's a lack of intent. And then the problem is, okay, well, why are they so worried about getting in trouble? And it's because of the drinking age one. If all these kids were 18, then there's not going to be, or if the, the drinking age was not 21, it's 18. Right. You're probably going to have a different level of personal responsibility with drinking because you're not, a lot of kids aren't going to go to college and just go fucking crazy. You know, they're going to have experience with legal drinking maybe before, maybe they turn 18 in high school. Um, so they're going to be able to handle it better. The kids, um, the brothers and beta aren't going to be worried about getting in trouble because the kid legally was drinking and now they're concerned about him and they take him to the hospital and the hospital pumps his stomach or does what they have to do. And you know, okay, maybe there's some medical costs, but everyone's alive and no one's charged and they don't have to worry about that. But now it's going to shift again, even further from that. What's, um, you know, calls for, uh, the parents said the IFC, which is the inner fraternity council kind of a loose governing body of all the fraternities at Penn State, the parents are saying, well, they're a criminal organization, they're covering up. You know, when I was at, and I, when we were in college, we had to do all sorts of crap that kids that did not live in fraternities did not have to do. We had to go to risk management seminars, we had to have these uh, people come in and talk to us that didn't know shit, but we had to go listen to them all the time. I, I'm sure you remember some oh, of yeah. these uh, speakers that we'll laugh about off the air. Um, there was all these rules that we had to follow. And, and guess what? If you ban the fraternities, it drinking is not going to stop at Penn State or any other school. It's going to happen just as much, and it's going to happen in dorms. It's going to happen in off-campus apartments or houses. And from my experience, it was a lot harder to get drunk if you're going to a fraternity party than if you're going to an apartment party or, you know, someone's some random person's house because there is some sort of regulation at fraternities. You know, it was hard for just a random person to walk in. You couldn't. There was no liquor given out to random right. people. Um, that no liquor, that happens. No. And, and you're yeah. talking about just to explain for anyone listening. So we're talking about sort of two different things, though. If you're talking about like a fraternity party, which would have just cases of beer, that was it. No mm -hmm. kegs, no liquor. The event where where this uh, where this kid Timothy Piazza died, that was a I guess a, a private event or an exclusive. It wasn't an open party. Right. They did have they did have obviously this yeah. was drinking liquor. They so, have liquor so that they're gonna, yeah. So my my point on that is if the other brothers weren't as worried about perhaps themselves getting into trouble with calling the hospital because that's the only possible reason they didn't right call yeah um any kind of you know med medical assistance is because they're worried that once they get there they're going to be charged with giving a minor 
alcohol. Yeah, that's that's the first that's the first thing I thought of. I mean, this is another case of you know pushing things onto the black market, introducing right. uh, you know making things more more dangerous. And exactly. It's, it's exactly. It's exactly like you said. This goes back to I mean, it's the same thing as we talked about with Jeff Sessions. You're not going to make anything safer. You're not going to reduce risk by introducing more risk by yeah. pushing these risky acts into the fringes, into the uh, into the, the you know the back alleys yeah. of society, just so you can't see them. That doesn't mean they freaking go away. It just makes them worse. It makes the consequence at the end. It just makes it that much worse. You have people dying because of it, and everyone is afraid to freaking address it. You'll never hear you'll never hear a university president come out and actually say anything remotely like that that they should reduce the drinking age to reduce risk. No one has any freaking balls to talk about this subject, and it it just keeps getting worse. I mean, I think kids are drinking more and more and more. I mean, when I was in college, I was guilty of it too. I got I got drunk all the time, and I got I drank when I was underage, and I had no idea of the consequences of it. Uh, but it's it's an, it's really a, an out of control um, thing that's going on, and the only way to fix it is to actually, like you were saying, start to and I don't know how you do it. Maybe if you face it, I don't think you can flick a switch tomorrow and say, all right, let's make it so 18-year-olds can drink. Maybe you do have to kind of phase it in, maybe take it back to 20 first for a couple of years yeah. and then back to 19. I'm not sure where the best way to do it is. Well, you know, I think at least in this, and, and this is not going to defend these um, kids once they once you see a kid fall down steps. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, like, look, you gotta say, look, I, you know, at, at this point, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about him. So that's, mm-hmm. I'm not defending from that point forward. But I think there can be some kind of, I don't know if you want to call it like amnesty or something. Like, you know what, you bring your friend to the hospital who's intoxicated like this. There's no questions asked. Okay. No There is a law. Uh, I remember. I don't remember the name of the law, and I can't find it right now. But apparently, there is an amnesty type law on the books like that of Pennsylvania. But I'm not sure how much that would have protected them, and I'm sure the kids didn't know about it. Yeah. Because uh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe you better educate them. And for all the risk management things that we had to sit through, I never heard any of those. Uh, speakers say anything about that. So if it's true, they never mentioned it to us once and mm-hmm. perhaps they should have because if these kids knew, like, look, we can take uh, this, uh, I forget his name, uh, something Piazza, if we can take him to the hospital and they can pump his stomach and he's going to be okay and no one's going to, you know, question him later, it's a no-brainer. Okay, we're not getting in trouble for hazing. We're not getting in trouble for supplying, um, you know, alcohol to a minor. He's going to be okay. Phew, good. Disaster averted. Mm -hmm. So, but no, uh, of course, the situation now is uh, shut down all the fraternities or more rules and regulations. It's just, it's always going to go the other way from what I think it should be going to. And it's, you know, we'll see how it works out, but I, I don't see good things for it. Yeah. And people have to remember too, of course, leave it to a uh, Pennsylvania grand jury to come out and just completely with a broad brush, just paint everyone. guilty. Oh, painting, God, that in saying, theory, saying I don't, that the, just yeah. the, the, the university and the IFC, the interfraternity fraternity council has created a permissive environment to allow this behavior to go on. I mean, c- come on. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, 
I'm not defending these kids. Obviously, they've I they should be they should go to they they should serve time probably. I think some of the ones directly responsible yeah. for making the decision to not take this kid to a hospital definitely should do some time. Yeah. And in a situation like that at a fraternity when you have drinking going on, there's if there wasn't somebody there that was sober, not drinking at all to monitor the event, then I mean that's that's a horrible mistake. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just that. I forgot to mention that what you just said, though, um, about the, the statement, the grand jury findings where they said and they used the culture again, the Penn State and culture. You know, it's we're fostering a culture of just blatant disregard for, you know, safety and, and promoting alcohol abuse. Like, how does a grand jury pos- in State College, Pennsylvania, possibly make that finding? Were they investigating all the fraternity? Because when I was there, there was, what, 55 to 60? So it's probably something similar now. How are you making that broad statement about all fraternities up there? It's, you know, and it, it's just such it's such uh, blind to the fact that it's not fraternities that are responsible for the alcohol problem. It's kids being away from home wanting to party. And it's now whatever you do to a fraternity, it's not going to stop that at Penn State or any other college, really. Yeah. So you don't think these kids will do time? Is that what you said earlier? Oh, I don't. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> um, Maybe you didn't. Perhaps. I, don't know. I, I. Well, I don't think they're going to do twenty years. I yeah, think that's okay, what I said. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think they definitely will do time, <laughs> um, and I think yeah. they should. But I think, I think maybe all eight of them will that that have been charged with this uh, this felony this felony crime because. Um, even, I mean, obviously somebody's guilty for not placing a phone yeah. a phone call there uh, to nine one one when he falls down the steps. But right. uh, the, any jury that the jury's already been been corrupted by yeah. by this report. Um, you know, they're going to want to you know validate that they are good people. The same thing that happened in the Sandusky trial. I mean, everything's blown up uh, right. nationwide, looking like these. This entire fraternity system is horrible. There has to be a scapegoat. There has to be. We have to. We have to hold somebody else down to virtue signal that we we are not horrible people. We're not evil people. So uh, you know these kids. I think definitely will. They could do yeah. twenty years. I don't know. We'll see. I would be surprised with that. Well, there's also problems with them because they were texting um, about how to cover up the evidence, which I mean. This is stupid on so many levels. One, get the kid help. Two, you're sending electronic messages. I, I, do they not follow the news? Everything can be traced. Like seriously, John McAfee can find everything you've ever done on the dark. Yeah, web. yeah, they're they're hacking Donald Trump. They're going to be able to find <laughs> out what a couple dumb twenty year olds uh, yeah. were sending text messages about. So that's going to be a problem. I, there's definitely going to be some jail time. I would. You know, there was no intent for this kid to die, uh, you know, but it was mm-hmm. certainly criminal, uh, hor- uh, criminal negligence that um, probably rose to the level of some kind of involuntary manslaughter like they're being charged. And so they're they're going to get a few years in jail. That would be my my guess. They'll, they'll get sentenced to something um, and they'll all be in two years. They'll, they'll not be in jail anymore. But that's quite a long time. These kids are their uh, futures are definitely going to be uh, severely affected by that but obviously not as much as the kid who died so yeah not a good not a good situation yeah i mean and just want to make clear that you and i um, we're not making excuses for these kids um they definitely this is a criminal act um just saying that the system in place the law in place for having a drinking age of 21 years old uh, sort of you know it creates an environment where this 
this type of these type of circumstances come up really really often and they don't always turn up turn out like this with somebody dying um you know a lot of times you know nothing happens everybody laughs about it the next day like you were saying before it's it's a it's a risk that really needs to needs to be reduced and the only way to do that i think is to slowly reduce the drinking age and normalize normalize drinking and stop pretending that this type of stuff isn't going on but anyway i think we've I think we've talked about this enough yeah uh, we're we're gonna move on and play america's fastest growing podcast game show is this a crime and should anyone do time is it a crime should they do time You're not like Steve Harvey, right? You, sending out memos about not approaching you in the Lions of Liberty studios or knocking on your door. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Can you <laughs> okay, me well, look, look that. He, <laughs> he wrote a memo to his staff. They're like, not allowed to look at him in the eye. They're not allowed to make conversations with him. They're not allowed to knock on his door. If they do, they will be removed. This is his staff. So, nice guy. Like uh, yeah, Steve Harvey, sounds- yeah. Good guy. Don't look at me. <laughs> you're a much better uh, game show host than Steve Harvey. All right. Hopefully Rico, you're the next host of Family Feud. <laughs> okay. First case here is out of Texas. A Texas man was charged after firing indiscriminately at two men who were attacking his fiance. Uh, we did talk about this in the Alliance of Liberty Forum, which you can join by going to Facebook, clicking, typing Lions of Liberty Forum, in the search bar at the top and we'll get you approved to join and you can talk about stories like this all the time and weigh in on them so in this case just to give a brief overview uh this guy noticed that his wife was being uh, attacked in front of their house his his uh, fiance uh they were trying to i guess kidnap his fiance and her child attacking them two men in ski masks came up to her and this guy went into his house grabbed a gun and i guess started firing, probably fired a warning shot to get them to, to start to run. As they started to, to leave, as they started to flee the scene, he fired at them as they were going down the street. Nobody was hit, but this guy has been charged with the guy firing the gun. I don't think they ever apprehended the, the two attempted kidnappers, two people attempted the kidnapping. The guy with the gun was charged with a third-degree felony. So, Rico... Is this a crime, and should this guy do, do time for firing at attackers who were trying to kidnap his wife and daughter? Okay, I'm going to separate this into two kind of time periods. One, uh, just reading the story. Okay, so he's seeing attackers. They're wearing masks, fire, and they're attacking his wife. I'm not going to blame or say that's a crime in any sort of way um, for firing at them. He's trying to protect his wife, and God knows what, you know, any attacker wearing a mask, attacking someone's wife, loses the benefit of the doubt in that situation, in my mind. Where I think it becomes a crime and where they, they charge him is, okay, the attackers are fleeing, and per the article, if this is true, they're running down a crowded street. So you cannot do that. The uh, threat to his wife is over. And they're running and you are now endangering other people if you're firing a gun indiscriminately down a a crowded street. So I would say, yeah, you know, that's a crime. 
because you're putting other people, innocent people in danger there. And as far as doing time, I would not knowing anything about this guy, I would say no, because one, no one thankfully got hurt. No innocent bystander got hurt. But if this guy, and I'm giving him the benefit that he was acting under kind of clouded judgment after seeing his wife get attacked, um, where I would change and say maybe he should do a little bit of time is if he has some kind of record of this sort of behavior. They said the attack might have been gang-related. So perhaps this guy has uh, some kind of – not that being in a gang makes you guilty of anything. But if he has past behavior of, of, or reckless or dangerous behavior like this, then I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But as I know now, uh, the facts that I know now, I'll say it is a crime. Give him probation or something. Um, yeah, I got to say I gotta say I agree with you. And I've actually seen this exact – not this exact, exact scenario debated in libertarian forums. But I've seen the scenario debated – is it a crime to fire into a crowd if you don't hit anybody? And I would agree with you that yes, yes, it is. That's at the very least, that's assault. That's that's a threat yeah. against all those people. So yes. I don't really, I don't understand the argument because there are people who argue the other side of that and say it's not a crime. Nobody's getting hit. So if you're on that side of the argument, please come into the Lions of Liberty forum and tell me what your argument is because I don't understand how anybody could be in favor of living in a society where people are allowed to just fire into crowds or on busy streets. And it's okay. As long as they don't hit anybody. That seems yeah. insane to me. I am with you there. I don't see the argument. Um, okay. Next I don't, one I don't want to live it. Yeah. It's a little bit lighthearted one here to break up the, uh, the sort of the depressing topics we've talked about today. <laughs> I forget where this took place. It might've been in, in the Ukraine, but there's a video of a woman twerking doing some hardcore twerking as cars are driving by and she actually if when you're watching the video she actually really tries to distract this one driver and like turns around i think like makes eye contact with the driver and is twerking and there's a car and a motorcycle uh coming together and they're both staring at this woman twerking and they hit each other and the guy in the motorcycle goes flying in the air and I'm pretty sure he lived. I'm pretty sure I read that. Yeah. He did live. So you can watch broke the video. Broke his pelvis. Yeah. Yeah, he broke his pelvis, knowing that he did survive. But the question here is, is it a crime for a woman to twerk on the side of the road and distract people People, you know, people driving cars, driving deadly weapons? Is that a crime to distract people operating these, uh, these deadly weapons? I would say no. If she's on the sidewalk... Um, and she's not like literally in the street causing, making them look or making them avoid her. It's unfortunate what happened. Um, but you know, the ultimate responsibility is on the drivers. They got to, if, if they can't maintain their focus on the road, they need to pull over and stop. And, uh, you know, she was definitely messing with them, but I, I can't see that it's, a, it's an, ex, it's an expression it's a form of expression, good or bad, and uh, she's doing it. And, and as far as I know, she's not on the actual road. So I guess I could give her a pass. It's probably not the best judgment, but I wouldn't say it's a crime. Yeah, there, there were. I didn't see any no twerking signs, so no, <laughs> I'm here. But this did remind me. And I think it was yeah, it was Seinfeld, an old episode of Seinfeld. Oh yeah, where yeah. I forget how it happens, but some see uh, well lady on that Jerry's dating. This was just walking down the street in a bra, right? Yep. And I yep. think it was Kramer that got into an accident. 
But uh, yeah, reminded me of that. Maybe that's where she got the idea from. <laughs> uh, you know, over in uh, the Ukraine, they're still watching early '90s sitcoms for entertainment. I still watch early '90s Seinfeld too. So I do too. Nothing wrong with that. That's classic. You can't beat it. <laughs> okay, last yeah. one for the day. This one is a YouTube prankster. He videotaped himself, or somebody videotaped him, um, stealing stop signs from an intersection. He took a couple of stop signs. The guy's name, uh, or he goes by the name Ross Creations. That's his YouTube. <coughs> that's a YouTube handle. His name is Charles Ross, and he was arrested and charged with a third-degree felony for a grand theft and spent two days in jail before he was bailed out. And he faces a maximum of five years in prison. So is this a crime to steal stop signs from these state-controlled roads? Wait, I, I didn't get to this point. He was charged with grand theft? That's what he was charged with? For yes. stealing a stop sign? Yeah. I, I thought, I guess I didn't read this article very, uh, you know. <laughs> I thought the point was he was putting people in danger. <laughs> Not that some stop sign was uh, so valuable that you need to be charged with grand theft. Well, I guess that's, that's all re- they could get on him. Like, what else would they charge him with for, uh, I guess, reckless endangerment or something like that? Yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, but his point was that I think he wanted to remove the stop signs because they were pointless stop signs. The intersection didn't require them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I would love to see this intersection because I have railed against uh, unnecessary traffic uh enforcement in the past so i would love to see if it was this a busy intersection um there probably should be when you get to an intersection there should be some kind of indication whether you need to stop or not i i uh, yeah i'm from the video i don't think it was particularly busy intersection but i would say give them some kind of uh you know maybe uh vandalism charge or something for this uh, unless he was legitimately putting people in danger, you know, if it's some kind of intersection where it's two 35, 45 mile an hour streets coming together and you got the chance of um, people running into each other, you know, maybe that's a little dangerous, but stealing a stop sign. I've done that. <laughs> come on. <laughs> if you want to admit to that. On the air. Well, no one knows who you are. So you can come get me, Johnny Popo. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, even if the stop sign really isn't necessary or needed, if you do just remove it and people are used to it and it does cause an accident and someone dies or gets hurt or injured or whatever, at the end of the day, that's really your fault because you have altered uh, the standard or typical traffic flow. So I, I do agree that five years, if he were to, if he were to get convicted and get the full yeah. maximum sentence, that's pretty pretty excessive. I don't think. I don't think he needs that. So I luckily, would say, yeah, yeah. Luck, I say luckily this isn't a uh, federal crime from what I know of. So Josh Sessions does not have uh, – he's not in the ear of the prosecutor telling him to pursue the maximum possible fine oh, or God. penalty, thankfully. Thanks for, thanks for tying for it back to Jeff Sessions and depressing me. Again. what I do. That's what I do. Yep. All right, Rico. Any any final thoughts before we, uh, before we sign uh, off here? But the only thing I, I could – say to possibly ease the worries of people worried about Jeff Sessions is uh, Trump's been known to fire a person or two. You know, you, you got you got Comey gone. There's been reports that he's looking at firing uh, uh, Reince Priebus, um, Sean Spicer this week. So 
I don't know. Maybe uh, you can fire Jeff Sessions if he doesn't like what he's saying, and we'll get someone better in there. So keep our fingers crossed. Maybe we need to start a uh, a petition. If there was is if there isn't one already, I'm it's kind of surprising that there's not. Oh, there's got to be for Trump to yeah. fire Jeff Sessions. So I'll, I'll, I'll take a look to, for that. If there is one, yeah. I will put it in the show notes. If there's not, maybe I'll start one. But I that's like it. that's all we got for today. It's been a uh, it's been a fun time with uh, talking with with Rico on the show. Thanks for coming on again, Rico. Yeah, good times, buddy. And just a couple of notes. If you guys like this show, if you want to hear more of them. Uh, the best way to do that is to subscribe on iTunes, where you'll get access to all three of our weekly podcasts. Every Monday, we have Mark Clare. Every Wednesday, Brian McWilliams with Electric Liberty Land. And every Friday, of course, is this show, Felony Friday. I mentioned the Lines of Liberty Forum before. It's a great way to interact with us, interact with other liberty lovers. You can find that on Facebook. Just type Lines of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top, and we will get you in. That's really all I have for today. Oh, one last note, Lions of Liberty Pride. If you want to hear more of our content, uh, we have done some exclusive episodes, and Rico was actually on the latest episode of Conspiracy Corner, and that's what we talked about earlier with Louis Free. That was a, a Louis Free special. So if you want to hear that, you can find that at lionsofliberty.com support. The lowest level is $5 to join. You get access to all of that content. You can pay more to get more perks. per month. You'll get some discounts and other freebies, free t-shirts, koozies, things like that. So definitely check that out, lionsofliberty.com slash support. That's all I got for today. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of liberty burning. Woo! All right. All right. Good show, buddy. (laughs) 